Chapter 7 of The Genial Idiot by John Kendrick Bangs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Boydell. Chapter 7 On the Decadence of April Fool's Day. I am sorry to observe, said the idiot as he sat down at the breakfast table yesterday morning that the good old customs of my youthful days are dying out by slow degrees, and the celebrations that once filled my childish soul with glee are no longer a part of the pleasures of the young. Actually, Mr. White Choker, I got through the whole day yesterday without sitting on a single pin or smashing my toes against a brick bat hid beneath a hat. What on earth can be coming over the boys of the land that they no longer avail themselves of the privileges of the fool-tide? Fool-tide's good, said Mr. Brief. Where'd you get that? Oh, I pried it out of my grey matter way back in the last century, said the idiot. It grew out of a simple little prank I played one April first upon an uncle of mine. I bored a hole in the middle of a pine log and filled it with powder. We had it that night on the hearth, and a moment later there wasn't any hearth. In talking the matter over later with my father and mother and the old gentleman, in order to turn the discussion into more genial channels, I asked why, if the Yule log was appropriate for the Yule tide, the Fool log wasn't appropriate for the Fool tide. I hope you got the answer you deserved said the bibliomaniac. I did, sighed the idiot. I got all there was coming to me. Slippers, trunk strap, hairbrush and plain hand, but it was worth it. All the glories of Vesuvius, Etna, Popocatapetl and Pele rolled into one could never thereafter induce in me anything approaching that joyous sensation that I derived from the spectacle of that fool log and that happy hearth soaring up through the chimney together, hand in hand, and taking with them such portions of the flues, andirons, and other articles of fireplace virtue as cared to join them in their upward flight. "'You must have been an early terror as a boy,' said the doctor. "'I should not have cared to live on your block.' "'Oh, I wasn't so bad,' observed the idiot. "'I never was vicious or malicious in what I did.' If I poured vitriol into the coffee pot at breakfast, my father and mother knew that I didn't do it to give pain to anybody. If I hid under my maiden aunt's bed and barked like a bulldog after she had retired, dear old Tabitha knew that it was all done in a spirit of pleasantry. When I glued my grandfather's new teeth together with Stratina, that splendid old man was perfectly aware that I had no grudge I was trying thus to repay and certainly the French teacher at school, when he sat down on an iron burr trap I had set for him in his chair, never entertained the notion that there was the slightest animosity in my act. "'By jingle!' cried the bibliomaniac. "'I'd have spanked you good and hard if I'd have been your mother.' "'Don't you fret. She did it. That is, she did it up to the time I was ten years old, and then she had such a shock she gave up corporeal punishment altogether, said the idiot. Had a shock, eh? smiled the lawyer. Nearly killed you, I suppose, giving you what you deserved. 
"'No,' said the idiot. "'Spank me with a hairbrush without having removed a couple of Excelsior torpedoes from my pistol pocket. "'On the second whack I appeared to explode. Poor woman! "'She didn't know I was loaded, and from that time on she was as afraid of me as most other women are of a gun.' "'I'd have turned you over to your father,' said the bibliomaniac indignantly. "'She did,' said the idiot sadly. "'I never used explosives again. "'In later years I took up the milder April Fool diversions, "'such as filling the mucilage pot with ink and the ink pot with mucilage, "'mixing the granulated sugar with white sand, "'putting powdered brick into the red pepper pot, "'inserting kerosene oil into the sweet oil bottle, "'and little things like that. "'I squandered a whole dollar one April Fool's Day "'sending telegrams to my uncles and aunts "'telling them to come and dine with us that night, "'and they all came too, "'although my father and mother were dining out that evening, "'and, oh dear, April Fool's Day is not what it used to be. "'The boys and girls of the present generation "'are little old men and women "'with no pranks left in them.' Why, I don't believe that nine out of ten boys who are about to enter college this spring could rig up a successful tic-tac on a window to save their lives. And the joy of carrying a piece of twine across the sidewalk from a front door nod to a lamp post, hat eye, and then sitting back in the seclusion of a convenient area and watching the plug-hats of the people go down before it, that is a joy that seems to be wholly untasted of the present generation of infantile dignitaries that we call the youth of the land. What is the matter with them, do you suppose? I guess we're getting civilised, said Mr. Brief. That seems to be the most likely explanation of this deplorable situation, as you appear to think of it. For my part, I'm glad if what you say is true. Of all rotten things in the world, the practical jokes of April Fool's Day bear away the palm. There was a time, ten years ago, when I hardly dared eat anything on the 1st of April. I was afraid to find my coffee made of ink, my muffin stuffed with cotton, cod liver oil in my salad dressing, and mayonnaise in the cream puffs. Such tricks are the tricks of barbarians, and I shall rejoice when April 1st, as a day of special privilege for idiots and savages, has been removed from the calendar. I am afraid, said Mr. White Choker, that I too must join the ranks of those who rejoiced if the old-time customs of the day are now honoured more in the breach than in the observance. Ever since that unhappy Sunday morning some years ago, when somebody substituted a breakfast bill of fare for the card containing the notes for my sermon, I have mistrusted the humour of the April Fool joke. Instead of my text, as I glanced at what I suppose was my note-card, my eyes fell upon the statement that fruit taken from the table would be charged for. Instead of my firstly, secondly, thirdly and fourthly, my eyes were confronted by fish, eggs, hot butter and to order. And finally, in place of the key line of my peroration, what should obtrude itself upon my vision but that coarse and vulgar legend, corkage! one dollar i never found out who did it and as a christian man i hope i never shall for i should much deprecate the spirit of animosity with which i should inevitably regard the person who has so offended i bet you preached a bully good sermon all is amy said the idiot well smiled mr white choker the congregation did seem to think that it held more fire than usual 
but I can assure you, my young friend, it was more the fire of external wrath than that of inward spiritual grace. Well, said the bibliomaniac, we ought to be thankful the old tricks are going out. As Mr. Brief suggests, we are beginning to be civilised. I don't think it's civilization, said the idiot. I think the kids are just discouraged, that's all. They're clever, these youngsters, but when it comes to putting up games, they're not in it with their far more foxy fathers. What's the use of playing April Fool jokes on your daddy when your daddy is playing April Fool jokes on the public all the year round? That's the way they reason. No son of George W. Midas, the financier, is going to get any satisfaction out of handing his father a loaded cigar when he knows that the old gentleman is handling that sort of thing every day in his business as a promoter of the United States Hot Air Company. What fun is there in giving your sister a caramel filled with Tabasco sauce when you can watch your father selling eleven dollars worth of amalgamated licorice stock to the dear public for forty-seven fifty? The gumdrop filled with cotton wool loses its charm when you contrast it with the consolidated radium containing one part of radium and ninety-nine parts of water. Who cares to hide a clay brick under a hat for somebody to kick when there are concerns in palatial offices all over town selling gold bricks to a public that doesn't seem to have any kick left in it? I tell you, it has discouraged the kids to see to what scientific heights the April Fool's industry has been developed, and as a result he has abandoned the field. He knows he can't compete. That's all right as an explanation of the youngsters whose parent is engaged in that sort of business, said the doctor. But there are others. True, said the idiot. The others stay out of it out of sheer pity. When they are tempted to sew up the legs of their daddy's trousers in order to fitly celebrate the day or to fill his collar box with collars five sizes too small for him, they say, No, let us refrain. The governor has had trouble enough with his international Yukon-anticipated brass shares this year. He's had all the fooling he can stand. We will give the old gentleman a rest. Fact is, come to look at it, the decadence of April 1st as a day of foolery for the young is no mystery after all. The youngsters are not more civilised than we used to be, but they have had the intelligence to perceive the exact truth of the situation. Which is, asked Mr. Brief, that the ancient art of practical joking has become a business. April Fool's Day has been incorporated by the leading financiers of the age and is doing a profitable trade all over the world all the year round. Private enterprise is simply unable to compete. I'm rather surprised nevertheless, said Mr. Brief, that you yourself have abandoned the field. You are just the sort of person who will keep on in that kind of thing despite the discouragements. Oh, I haven't abandoned the field, said the idiot. I did play an April Fool joke last Friday. What was that? asked Mr. Whitechoker, interested. I told Mrs. Pedagog that I would pay my bill tomorrow, replied the idiot, as he rose from the table and left the room. End of chapter 7